Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems, too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Susanna, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thanks, Sweeney, for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, my pleasure. So I came across you by way of our uh, mutual friend and former guest, Sarah Peck, and she's had a pretty stellar track record for referring guests. So when she sent me your info, I was kind of a no-brainer. So on that note, can you tell us uh, a bit about yourself, your story, uh, your journey, your background, and how that has brought you to what you're up to in the world today? Great. So I'll start with where I'm at today and then I'll work backwards. Uh, So I currently uh, do executive coaching. So I help to develop leaders. Uh, Primarily, I work for Apple. That's my main client. Um, And then I am in the process of launching a podcast called The Cosmos in You, which is where we'll explore the nature of reality through the lens of scientists, um, artists, philosophers, spiritual leaders, thought leaders, um, And I'm super excited about that. So that's going to be coming out next month. So that's what I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. Uh, In terms of my story, how I landed here, um, I born and raised in the Bay Area and uh, went to UCLA. And after school, I basically did the corporate route for 10 years. So all of my 20s. I started out at Gap Corporate. Um, in merchandising and then moved to New York and did product development for them. And when I worked at Gap in New York, uh, September 11th happened and my subway was on its way to the World Trade Center. Um, And for those of you who were there or or know New York, uh, my office is at 18th and 6th. And so um, when I got off the subway, you know, the first plane had hit. And, you know, that's one of those moments that is a turning point in your life um, where everything just comes into a different focus and priority shift and your whole life shifts, right? After seeing that and going through that. So um, even though at Gap, I was, quote, a rising star and, you know, I was on the plane with the CEO of Gap and you know, what, what I was calling it, sort of shooting all over myself, right? Mm-hmm. I should be happy because I should feel this way um, because I have, you know, I have a creative job. I get paid well. I have everything that everybody told me I'm supposed to have and yet I'm miserable inside. And um, <clears throat> so I, my sister who was living in San Francisco at the time told me she was moving to Italy And at this point, I'm now in my uh, late 20s. And so I remember reading this this Walt Whitman poem, um, which says, you must travel it for yourself. And there was something so profound about that exact phrase, you must travel it for yourself, which told me that I could not follow 
what everybody had been telling me to do, my parents, society, et cetera. And I have to go, I have to go see this for myself. And so I quit my job and I moved to Italy with my sister. Um, and we lived in a small beach town outside of Rome in the beginning uh, called La Dispoli. And I remember when we tell Italians, we'd meet Italians in Rome or wherever, and they say, where do you live? And I'd say, La Dispoli. And they say, where? I say, La Dispoli, where? And they say, oh, La Dispoli. I'll never forget. Like, yes. Thank you for embarrassing us. I don't know how to say it, but that's where I live. Um, and so we lived there. And I mean, talk about a different life and pace, it was, it took me a long time to really get into the pace of, of Italy coming from New York. And, um, and so, so then we moved into Rome and we worked as waitresses and we lived there for almost a year. And, um, and I spent a lot of my time during the day, just sitting in cafes, writing, um, I spent a lot of time writing. I'd write fiction. I'd write nonfiction. I I just wrote all the time. And um, and when I came back to San Francisco, I wanted to keep that idea, but um, because of rents in San Francisco, I had to uh, put that to side. And so I went back to uh, corporate retail. I went to William Sonoma, another San Francisco retailer, and I knew in the interview I wasn't supposed to be there. I knew it. And, but I didn't listen cause I was scared. And so I took the job and I worked there for a few years, um, and was also miserable. So then I went and became the head of marketing for a wine company and thought that could be the great fix. Cause I would be writing the back of wine labels. Um, it was something different. Um, but found again, it wasn't where I was supposed to be. And I had one of those aha moments where I was in France. Again, a lot of my aha moments happen in Europe, um, coincidentally. But uh, I was in France on a work trip with the wine company because we were um, buying a winery in, in Bordeaux. And I remember the the winemaker there didn't speak any English, but he was so passionate about what he was doing. I mean, you d- you didn't have to speak French to see that. And I made a decision, or as I call it, sort of a sacred contract at that moment that I, I, would, I would live my life in pursuit of feeling what he felt, of what it feels like to be truly passionate about what you do. And um, I came back from that trip and I quit. I quit my job and um, saw a coach myself to figure out what I wanted to do and discovered the world of coaching and got certified. And that was almost 10 years ago. And my life has changed ever since. So that's my story. Hmm. So, uh, you know, I want to start uh, with September 11th. Yeah. And, and you, you mentioned that that moment in your life uh, was a major turning point that made you start to see the world very differently and made you start to see life differently differently, and caused a, a shift in your priorities. I'd yeah. like to talk about that in a bit more depth um, and have you talk about some of the lessons from that. But the bigger question for me is, as I think about you know leading life, how do we create a shift in the priorities of our lives mm-hmm. without having to experience the tragedy of something like September 11th? God, isn't that the truth? Isn't that the question? You know, my favorite expression is the universe first gives you a whisper, then a shout, and then a two by four to the head, <laughs> right? <laughs> and most, if not all of us, 
wait for the two by four. I don't know why we're wired that way, but we are. Um, and so I had, I had whispers before that, right? I had whispers in the form of um, a constant knot in my shoulder. I had whispers in terms of feeling empty inside, right? And then I had shouts. You know, it was, all came before. So, um, so is the question, how do we, how do we shift? How do we realize those priorities without getting the two by four? Yeah, I guess. I mean, and also I'd like to talk about how your own priorities shifted as well. Yeah, well, I'll start there. My own priorities shifted because what I realized was, so that day, um, one of my closest friends, she worked across the street from uh, the World Trade Center. And uh, for those of you who are living there, you know, our cell phones didn't work and we couldn't get a hold of anyone. And so I could not get a hold of her until it happened in the morning um, and I couldn't get a hold of her until that night. So it was almost 12 hours later. And um, it ended up, she and I had gone the night before to go watch Monday Night Football and she was too hungover to go to work the next day. Um, and she had called in sick, but I didn't know any of this. Um, and so I spent that whole day, um, you know, not knowing where she was and if she was alive. And there were multiple people that I didn't know if they were alive. Um, and in New York, you know, you meet so many people all of the time. And so the subsequent weeks after that, you literally were calling people that maybe were your acquaintances or, you know, becoming friends and you were calling them to see if they were alive. Um, you were calling them to find out if their friends were alive. I mean, that, that's not normal, you know, that's, that is not something I've ever experienced before. And so, um, it made all the noise and, and the stress that I thought that I felt through work of making sure that we had the right uh, sweatshirts in the store on time and that they were the right color um, and that they were selling as much as they should sell. All of those stresses that I thought were stresses just fell away and I realized how unimportant it was in the grand scheme of things. So I think that that was a major shift in terms of I just, I took on a, a much bigger picture view of the world. And I thought, and it also made me realize that, you know, you know, I'll never forget, I'll never, ever forget this moment that when the, the second plane had hit and I went into my office and, um, and I was sitting and I called my parents in California because you could call out of New York, not within New York. And, um, my whole building went boom and shook like crazy. And I was on the phone with my parents and I said, what just happened? And they were watching TV and it wasn't, they said, you know, the tower just fell. And, um, and I remember saying to my dad, um, oh, it's getting emotional. Thank you of it. Um, what do I do? What's safe? And he said, I don't know. Susanna, I don't know. And to have your dad not know if it was safe to be, outside, safer to be outside, safer to be inside, you know, and there's fighter jets flying over our building. Um, nobody knew at that point. And so I think just everything came into perspective for me and that, you know, that I may not be here forever and that the things that I worry about don't really matter. And so all of that just became really clear in my mind. And if that were the case, then what was the life that I wanted to live, you know? Um, and so that's what shifted for me. Wow. So how, I guess, do we go about starting to 
create a shift in our lives and shift priorities or uncover what's really yeah. important without having to go through, you know, such yeah. a tragedy. Right. Um, so I spent, um, in the first part of my coaching career, I did career coaching with people and it was to help them answer the question, who am I and why am I here? Right. That's what everybody would, would come to me with. And so what I have found that that exploration, there's a few things that are really important. Number one is having space in your life. And when I say space, I mean mental space, emotional space, physical space, clearing through clutter, um, having a buffer in your time, right? Um, you need time to reflect. And so I think that is of utmost important in terms of, of reflecting and trying to find out what your priorities are, is having space. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, um, is making it a priority. So, you know, it's not something that just happens automatically. You really do have to make a concerted effort to say, I am doing self-reflection and I'm going to go for a really long walk a few times a week. I am going to hire somebody to help me look through this. I'm going to, you know, check out books on the topic. I'm going to listen to whatever it is. You have to make it a priority that it's important because otherwise life just passes you by. So that's number two. And then number three, I think there's some sort of alchemy that happens between two people discussing uh, your purpose. And I don't, I can't explain it. I don't know what it is, but I've seen it happen so many times where you get caught in your own story and it takes somebody else shifting your perspective to see the world in a different way, see yourself in a different way. And, and, it, and it, it's, it's hard to really fi- figure out those priorities when on your own. Mm-hmm. The really, I think a crucial part of it, somebody else has to be a part of it. So, you know, knowing that, uh, knowing what you do about careers, mm-hmm. it actually makes me go back to a subject that I think I can't stop talking about. Yeah. Why is it that that's not part of our education system and why oh. do we miss it? Amen to so that. So often and so early. You know, you know, if I think back to when I was at UCLA, I, I, I spent a lot of time at the Career Center. I think I was one of the few people. There really weren't ever many people in there. <laughs> um, but for whatever reason, I was in there all the time. It, career was always important to me. I was looking through the big books. What were they called? They still have it. It's like the A to Z of careers or something. It looks like a phone book. Mm-hmm. It has every possible career in there. Um, but what I found is at the time, you know, they focused on your resume and classes you needed to take and, you know, all those typical things. But that, but that idea of who are you, why are you here, mm-hmm. what is your purpose? Um, the reason that I think it doesn't happen is because people are fearful and they think, I would say that there is a common pervasive limiting belief of society that you can't do what you love and make a living. And I think it's a really important distinction. I often talk about the difference between passion and purpose. So you can be passionate about something, but it doesn't mean it's your purpose. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas your purpose is where your, your natural talents and your skills and your passion line up, right? Passion is just one part of it. So I can be really passionate about something, but I have no skills or talent in that area. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, art. I am passionate about art and music. I am terrible at both. <laughs> I could not make a career of either of those. I would love to, but it's not in my cards. 
right? Um, so I think that distinction for people um, and the reason, but the reason they don't is because of fear. Hmm. Yeah. So let me ask you this, and, and we'll probably end up coming back to this as we get deeper into this conversation. Uh, you know, it's interesting to me to hear you talk about, you know, getting to be in a position at a very young age where you get to be in a position where you're, you know, flying on a corporate jet with the CEO of the Gap. Mm-hmm. Uh, things that you know a lot of us don't experience at such an early age, and I'm really interested in how somebody at that level of career success. Um, influenced and shaped you as a person, shaped your values, and shaped how you see the world? Mm, great question. I have to think about that one. Um, it's interesting. I actually will go back further in my life. Um, growing up, my parents entertained a ton. Um, my dad was 50 when he had me. So my dad was older, um, and so his friends were older. And but growing up, there was just a constant dinner party at our house, um, basically. That's all I remember. So I was speaking with adults at a very early age and understanding how to make small talk, understanding how to carry myself. Um, and my parents in that way are very traditional Um They're very polite. They're very traditional. I just, you know, one of the things I help people in my executive coaching with that I'm hired a lot for is this idea of executive presence. And it's defined by having gravitas and being able to hold a room. And and I think because of my childhood that that really helped me in my career at an early age where I could speak to the CEO and I wasn't nervous. Um, I knew how to speak in an eloquent way. I knew how to read people. And so I understood what their motivations were and, um, and sort of distill what was happening, mm-hmm. um, in a way that was beneficial to them. So I think that those were the driving forces of why I had that success from an early age in terms of being around that, that my bosses didn't worry about me, that I was going to say something stupid or, um, you know, they trusted me in that way. Mm-hmm. So let's do this. Let's shift gears a little bit. We'll come okay. back to this because I, I do want to talk about this idea of executive presence and gravitas. It's something I'm personally very interested in. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the time that you've spent in Italy, um, working in a cafe of all places, going from sort of this high powered corporate path, you know, living yeah. in New York lifestyle to a cafe in Italy, yeah. which, you know, I, if I told my parents that they would think I lost my mind. Oh, they did. <laughs> <laughs> I did not have, I do not have parents who think that is something people should do by the well, way. To me, the the really interesting thing is I think about the conversations I've had with bartenders and I always feel that in a lot of ways, that kind of an experience in a service industry is a lesson in human psychology and human behavior. And I'm really interested in what those lessons are from your time working in a cafe, especially in a foreign country. Yeah, good question. Um, So a few things. One was, um, you know, at the beginning of, 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 of working, we always had to fold napkins, right? And I remember, and they filled them in this really very Italian way. Um, and I remember every day just sitting, you know, we had outside tables and we were on this little cobblestone alley in Trastevere and 
thinking I could not be more filled with joy at this moment to be just sitting here folding napkins on a cobblestone alley, right? Something so simple yet, um, and seeing the same people go by. And so that was really interesting to me to think, to have a shift in perspective of what work meant, um, and how something as mindless as that, how therapeutic it was. So that was one thing that stands out to me. Um, the other thing is, you know, when we got hired, they thought we spoke fluent Italian. Our entire training was in Italian. <laughs> um, I did not know how to say knife or spoon. Um, I knew fork because it was forchetta, so that was pretty easy. Um, but basically, and, and our chefs did not speak a word of English, not a word. Um, and so that was really interesting to, you learned, you know, I've never thought of this until you just asked me. I think I learned how to read people and really learned how to understand what was being said without them actually saying it mm-hmm. in that experience. Um, so that was something that I took away. And another thing I took away was, was feeling there was, there was a lot of courage that was needed because as you can imagine, someone who did not speak Italian fluently would walk up to a table of 12 Italians and, um, be their waitress. And they all, and I, nothing against the Italians, but they are not always the most friendly in situations like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I'll never forget, you know, the first time that happened to me, um, and asking them, would they like something to drink? That was the first thing you're supposed to say in Italian and, you know, 12 heads turning towards me. Oh my God, I've never been so scared in my life. And then, (laughs) then they would say, cosa? What? Like, don't make me repeat it again. I just said it in Italian. Um, so there was, I, I had to practice a lot of courage in that. Um, so I learned that. And um, what else? Ah, those, are the, those are the main things that, that, that come away. I'll never forget some Americans came to visit and they turned to me and said, my, your English is so good. I said, oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, it was a great experience. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. 
Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. So you know the other thing I want to ask about is that moment at Williams Sonoma, yeah, where you go into a job and you know deep inside it's the wrong thing to do. In my bones, in my bones, I knew. And, you know, coming back to that, sort of what we talked about before about the, you know, knowing how to behave. I know how to behave in interviews. I'm very good. I can be very polished, you know, I could check off all the boxes. And so interviewing wasn't hard for me in that case. And I had been doing it before, mm -hmm. uh, the job before. But, um, you know, I just, I looked around the environment. I saw the cubicles. I, I, saw what I was going to be doing, that I was going to be spending a lot of time in Excel, you know, all those types of things. And I could just feel it. It was like a, it was like a deadness inside. That's the best way I can describe it. Right. Like a lifelessness. Yeah. Um, it wasn't loud. It was, it was like a quiet limp. Mm -hmm. I, I don't, this is the best way I could describe it. Um, indifferent. Right. I think that's what it is. It was indifference. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, but I came home and then they told me how much they were going to pay me and offered the job. And I was living at home at the time, right? Because I moved back from Italy. So now I'm in my late 20s and living at home with my parents and all my friends are in the city in apartments. And so I thought this will be my ticket to go move to the city. And so I'll use this as a, you know, this will get me to where I want to go. Mm -hmm. um, I've done that many times in my life, that should path. I definitely have done it many times in my life. Even in my coaching career, we'll get that to that later. I've done it. And every time it turns out poorly. Every time. I don't know when I'm going to learn. I think I'm getting there. I'm getting close. So, uh, you know, the reason I asked about that moment is because I've had that moment. Yeah. Probably as many times as you have. Yep. <laughs> uh, and 
I guess the question for me is how we learn to trust that intuition of saying, you know what, I really shouldn't do this. It's going to yeah. suck. Right. And no, no amount of money, right? Yeah. No amount of... Um, because here's another thing I'll say. I don't know if you've experienced this, but I, I reflect on this a lot. I have been in situations in my life. I've been broke and in a job I hated. Mm-hmm. Okay. I've been broke, but happy. And that was when I was in Italy, right? I've been made good money and miserable in my job. And I've made good money and been happy in my job. I've experienced all the iterations. And there's one thing that I have learned for sure. And maybe you just have to have the experience, right? It's back to that. You must travel it for yourself. You have to experience it for yourself. You have to see all of them in order to understand it. But I know you hear money does not make you happy and I'm not against making money, but, but it's not, um, it will never fill that hole. Mm. It, it, it just won't. And I, you know, coming back to this, I remember the amount of money that I spent shopping when I had that William Sonoma job and the marketing job. And I know now, cause I was trying to fill a hole. Right. And I thought, um, clothes or shoes, whatever it is, it was all to fill the hole. And then when I quit to become a coach and I started my own business and I was not making money in the beginning, it was amazing how that hole was full. And I didn't need that extra money to shop because I really didn't care about shopping. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it all just fell away because I was filled by something else. So I think having experienced that, I know not to go back to it. Mm. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I, I, much like yourself, um, I was a master of the job interview. Unlike you, I was never good at the job. I was really good at doing the interviews. In <laughs> I fact, find that hard to believe. Uh, but I was never good at any of the jobs. So literally, I could go into an interview and just give them a performance that dazzled them and get myself right. a job offer. But that didn't, it, it never really lasted much longer than that. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, when I, when I look back at it now, I'm like, okay, I guess the only way, you know, out was through. Yes. Yes. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. You know, um, there's a great kid's book, um, um, going on a bear hunt it says, and this family goes and they, they say, they go come across the swamp and then they come across the river and they come across the mountain. Anyway, they say, can't go over it. Can't go under it. Have to go through it. Mm. And isn't that true for life? Right. It's yeah. just, you have to go through it. So let me ask you this, um, and this is what I want to spend the rest of our time talking about, and we'll tie it into you know your coaching career and working with you know the types of people that you have. You mentioned that seeing that winemaker in France mm. caused you to decide to sign a sacred contract with yourself, and I'm wondering how we find our own sacred contract. Mm, well, I will t- I'm really interested in sacred contracts, actually, um, because I find with my clients, you know, we make sacred contracts in a negative way as well. So let me give an example. One of my clients recently, her, her boss was not giving her credit, which is, by the way, a very common theme I hear from all my clients. And if you manage people and you're listening to this, please, please, for the love of God, tell <laughs> the people who work for you, that they're doing a good job. Just that. It is amazing what a world of difference it will make in someone's life. Um, But anyway, so 
she realized she wasn't getting credit and she was really high up and for the work that she was doing. Um, and I, I, I did some inquiry to her to really find out what, what was the root of what was going on. And she told me about early on in her career, she had written this research paper, a pretty big one, and her boss took credit for it. And she, she hesitated for a moment and her eyes filled up with tears. And I said, what, what's happening right now? And she just started crying. Um, and I said, you made a sacred contract that day to never be in that position again, didn't you? And I mean, she just, the tears were, were flowing out. And so she has put up a wall of armor ever since that day. So in that way, we make, we make sacred contracts within ourselves that are not for our highest self all the time, right? Like I will never, it's like in a relationship when you get your heart broken, right? Um, I imagine, you know, if you think back to your biggest heartbreak in your life, at that moment, you make a sacred contract. I will never feel like this again, right? I will never let somebody get in. And so you may love again, but you don't love with quite the same reckless abandon that you did at that time, I think. Um, Maybe not for everybody, but so I think we do make sacred contracts like that subconsciously. And then they rule our life. Um, and so, so that, so there's, those are the negative, the positive sacred contracts are, um, it's an agreement we have with ourselves that that is, that is where we'll, that is where we'll be going. And I don't even remember what the question you asked me is, but I get excited about sacred contracts. Keep going. I'm not going to stop you. <laughs> um, there's, there's a great woman, um, Caroline Miss, if anyone has heard of her, and she has a book called Sacred Contracts. Um, she's a medical intuitive. It's really incredible, by the way. If she, she has these charts that show, you know, any pain in your body, wherever you have it, and it represents what's happening. And she talks about archetypes and hey, she's phenomenal. But um, she talks about, you know, that we make sacred contract contracts with people in our lives, even before we come here. We make sacred contracts with ourselves. I mean, there's just um, that idea of, of what we've set our mind to subconsciously is so incredibly powerful. So um, in that case with, a, with a, you know, the winemaker, the French winemaker, that was a positive one. And I'm glad I made that with myself that day. Is there a way to overcome the negative ones? Yeah, there is. Um, I wish there were, I've been thinking about this a lot. You know, this idea of, okay, so I don't know if you've heard this, but we have 60 to 70,000 thoughts per day, mm-hmm. Okay. 90 to 95% of those thoughts are the same thoughts we had yesterday and the day before. <laughs> Isn't that unbelievable? Okay, so just that. So when you talk about free will, you know, you'll hear a lot of people say, we, don't ha- we actually don't have free will. And what they mean by that is not that we can't, but because 95% of our thoughts are the same thoughts we had yesterday, we're not consciously thinking those thoughts. They're subconscious thoughts, uh-huh. okay? And our subconscious is ruling our life. So- Subconscious is limiting beliefs that you have and um, your subconscious thoughts get determined um, before the age of six. So, and that all has to do with um, the brainwave that you're in. Stop me if you know this or this is boring, but um, I find it fascinating, which is why I wanted to start the Cosmos and You podcast. But um, from the ages of two to six years old, the brain wave that you are in is the most suggestible. And that is 
a good thing because that's how you learn, right? You're supposed to be absorbing like crazy during those times. But what happens is if somebody says to you, um, you can't make money doing what you love, it goes zoop, gets in your brain, right? Mm-hmm. Subconscious, locked. Um, at age six, your brain, you, you go to a different brainwave frequency, and, um, and you don't realize all these things are happening in your brain. So we are all operating off of these things that maybe your like, great aunt said to you, right, at one family Christmas party. And you don't even realize you're ruling your whole life off of this subconscious belief. So how do you handle this? How do you overcome this? This is a very big uh, passion of mine. Um, so the first, there's many ways to go about it. And I wish that there were a really clear cut, like do, do this, these three things, but I haven't found that answer, but I'll tell you some of the things. Um, one, I'm sure you're familiar with, um, NLP, neuro linguistic mm-hmm. programming. Definitely. Yeah. So I have an NLP coach and, um, and it has been phenomenal seeing, um, the changes that I have seen, um, and how he's worked through me. I mean, things come up about, you know, my grandmother, my great grandmother, just, he calls it, uh, his name's Jeff Riddle and he, he calls it generational suffering, right? Where, for example, my, uh, my grandmother had mental illness, my gra- my great grandmother had mental illness. And so he talks about, you know, that's the sort of female, um, energy that has been passed on to me. And so I take on some of that weight and say, oh, this is how life should be. It should be hard. It should be about suffering. It shouldn't be easy. You know, all those types of things, again, all subconscious. Um, and so through NLP work, we start to shift that. Um, there's other ways to do it. Uh, tapping. Do you know um, uh, tapping work, I've, for example? Which I've is, heard of it. You've heard of it. It's yeah. really crazy powerful, by the way. I know it seems weird. That does not lost on me. <laughs> But let me tell you, whoa, (laughs) I have had so many profound shifts in my life from tapping that I highly recommend uh, people check it out. Uh, So there's a lot of kind of weird stuff basically to move subconscious because uh, (laughs) I don't know any not weird ways is my answer. Fair Um, enough. And it's all because it's not, it, it doesn't, because your subconscious are not part of your conscious thoughts. So you cannot change your subconscious with conscious thoughts. Hmm. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. You can't think your way through it. Well, it's funny, right? I mean, I, I I wrote this, um, for something that I, you know, I I usually write something for my birthday every year. And I said, you know, the spiritual journey of adulthood is basically a a process of peeling away layers so Mm. that we return back to that wild eyed wonder of childhood. Ooh, gives me the chills. Love that. And, and that, that to me is what this entire process is like. Um, you know, I, it's one of those things I, I think if there were a dead set answer to it, I would have been able to stop doing this show three years ago. <laughs> right. <laughs> so let's do this. Uh, let's shift gears a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and let's start talking about this idea of gravitas and presence. I mean, you work with people who really are at the top of their game. Uh, and that, that's that's a big part of why I said yes, because I don't say no yes to coaches very often. Mm-hmm. But when I saw you know all of that, I was like, yeah, this is useful. I'm very interested personally in... <laughs> how we develop that sort of level of gravitas and presence in our own lives and what it is that enables these people to perform at the level they do and what we can take away from that. Yeah. It's such a, it's, it's been interesting to me to see what a huge, uh, theme and desire and 
challenge executive presences for so many people, even at the top of their game, right? Um, Particularly, as I said, working for Apple, uh, a lot of times you have geniuses there who maybe they're creative genius, maybe they're an engineering genius, they're, you know, whatever it may be, but that doesn't necessarily mean they know how to carry themselves. And at at Apple and at other companies, one of one of the main um, focuses is this word influence. Mm-hmm. And influence is when you can get people on your side without any given power. So particularly in large organizations, when let's say you're cross-functional, um, cross-functional business partner. Uh, they have no reason to do what you tell them to do, right? Because it doesn't affect them. They're not responsible for it. So the question is, how do you influence them? And that is a big part of executive presence. Why do they want to help you? Mm -hmm. And you have to do this on a daily basis, on an hourly basis. You have to do it in small ways. You have to do it. Small ways is, you know, um, bumping into them in the hall, Large ways is being in front of the executives um, and convincing them of something. Medium ways is in staff meetings, whatever it may be. But so there's a few ways that you influence. And I think influence and executive presence really go hand in hand. Uh, The first is relationship building. And again, it goes back to what we talked about before. You have to make relationship building a really a priority in your life and in your career. And so when people feel a connection with you and they feel a true connection and that you truly are vested in their best interest and you have a, it doesn't have to be best friends, right? But you ask them about their lives there, you know, that they, they feel connected to you. So that's number one, I would say not number one, most important, but an important one for executive presence. The second is the art of listening. And this happens, this is a big challenge for a lot of my clients where, again, because they're so bright, they move at a pace that is so fast and um, they've figured out things before everybody else has and they can become very impatient, right? <laughs> Sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> and they get frustrated. And so they'll say things like, get to the point or... Um, why haven't you figured this out yet or whatever it may be or cut them off and finish their sentences and it's really rude and (laughs) diminishes their executive presence. Um, And so I help them to practice listening. And and the number one thing of listening, and you know this, you're an interviewer and you're great at this, is being curious. If you ever wonder, how can I be a good listener? Practice curiosity. It's Mm. the easiest way. You check in with yourself and say, what am I curious about? If I, what do I most want to know right now? And then you ask that question. So um, I would say that's a really big part of listening. Um, The other thing with listening, and I learned this in my coach's training, was the three levels of listening. So level one listening is when you're listening to yourself when someone else is talking. You know, did I take the garbage out? Where's the dog? Things like that. Level two is where you're listening to everything they have to say. And then level three is where you're listening to what they're not saying. Uh, you're reading their body language, you're noticing the pauses they take, you are picking up on the energy that they're giving off. Um, That's level three listening. And so it's really important for executive presence that you are tuned in to all of that. 
Um, and then I would say the third thing about executive presence is having a strong vision and horizon that you're working towards so that people understand who you are, what you're about, and they understand how they can help you, right? And they know what to go to you for, and they know what to expect when you come to them. Hmm. Which then moves into personal branding, which is another thing I, I work a lot on. Do you think that certain people are destined to climb the ranks? Mm. Okay, so if you're asking within a large organization, yes. So for example, I have another client who's very politically savvy. And he he grew up in politics, literally, right? On political mm-hmm. campaigns. And so he navigates large organizations better than anyone I've ever met before because he's so politically savvy. And he's smart and he's great, but there is that part. When people who are not politically savvy, no matter how good they are at their job, uh, I want to say are destined to fail. They don't fail, but they can't get to that top, top part without being politically savvy. Now, this isn't a large organization. This is not necessarily true for entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Well, the reason I ask is because I am the ultimate byproduct of not being able to do that. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, I couldn't climb the ranks in a large organization, yeah. and I realized I would hate it, probably. <laughs> it just, it never, it, navigating that never made sense to me, and it was because I felt all of it was bullshit. Yeah, because it felt so inauthentic. That's probably largely what it was, and I was unaware of that. I yeah. just didn't see any other option. You know, I know, that's always the rub, and I have people ask me that all the time, you know, how how do I be successful, how, how can I be successful and be myself, mm-hmm. Right. Is that even possible? And I have to pause when I think that. Um, You can, but you also, you can be yourself, but you also, you you do have to know how to play the game. Yeah. And and I think um, there's a certain point, and it doesn't mean you're not yourself, it doesn't mean you sell your soul out, but it means you know what has to be done in order to get where you ultimately want to get or have the impact you want to have. So it's in service of that. And it doesn't mean, again, going against yourself and, you know, but, and, and, and in truth, it, it's not for everybody doing that. You're right. It's not, it is not for everyone. And in fact, way too many people are in the corporate world when they shouldn't be. (laughs) Let's just be honest. And that's what people think is their only option. They should not be in the corporate world. Yeah, I, I guess I would say I'm one of those people. It's this is actually really interesting to me because um, you know my my business partner Brian Cohen and I have a lot of conversations about things like this, and he's very very good uh, about this stuff. I mean, he grew up with parents who are entrepreneurs, and he knows how to navigate organizations, and he can do it really quickly. Mm. Um, and my edges are pretty rough, which I've mm-hmm. I've learned in some uncomfortable conversations with very close friends and people who work with us when I just say whatever I'm thinking and I'm like, shit, <laughs> I really shouldn't have said that. That came out wrong. Right, um, right. But but it's that, that's why I was so interested in, in this question because I just felt there's so much to be learned there that could be applied not just to, to our business and, and our professional lives, but it sounds like something that could be applicable in our personal lives. Definitely can be applied to our personal life. Definitely. Um, and I think... You know, when it comes to in your personal life, here's what's different. In your personal life, you choose who you want to hang out with right. for the most part, right? Who you surround yourself with. In work, you, 
you kind of do, but you don't completely, right? Mm-hmm. You maybe you choose your boss, but then um, then your boss changes, and then you have you know, and then your team members change, and then all of a sudden you're stuck with these clowns or you know just people you don't align <laughs> with and you're like what am I doing who are these people uh-huh. why do I have to work with them uh which I get and frankly is why I left the corporate world um but I think when you are when you are able to find a common goal and shared purpose with people and you are truly passionate about what you are there to achieve and to have influence and impact It's what everybody wants to have, right? Everyone wants to feel that they've had an impact. Mm -hmm. So when you're able to tap into that common goal, purpose, um, and achieve it with others and find common ground that, uh, that you have with them, maybe you both have kids, maybe you both, you know, whatever it may be, and you look for those pockets, you will be much more satisfied in your job. Mm. I love it. Well, Susanna, this has been really, really awesome. Uh, so I want to close with my final question, which you've probably heard me ask a thousand times <laughs> since you've listened to the show. Uh, what do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? When they, you know, I, it makes me think of the Dr. Seuss. Um, you are the youest you that will ever be. Hmm. Um, no one is more youer than you. That to me is unmistakable when you are, when you are truly, when you get to, you know, if you think of a, a, a one of those Russian dolls where you keep taking out, mm-hmm. you know, and you kind of, you keep peeling, that's what you said, peeling back the layers is another metaphor for it. When you get to that little inside, tiny, tiny, tiny little doll, that's when you're unmistakable. Awesome. Well, uh, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us. Uh, you know, as, as I do, anytime Sarah refers somebody, they're awesome. And mm-hmm. uh, this has been really, really insightful. Uh, and I, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us and share your story and your, your insights with our listeners. Thank you so much. This has been so much fun. You're, you're really great at what you do. So it's fun to be a part of it. Thanks. And for everybody listening, we'll wrap the show with that. If you like what you heard, the greatest compliment you could give us is to share the show with a friend and let people know what you think by leaving a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening to The Unmistakable Creative. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.